Welcome back to the CFB Paint Podcast. It's Steve. He's back again. I know I did a quick solo episode for some, but back with the gang. We will recognize that Brian is currently out. We'll hope to connect with him next week, but we'll we'll see him. In the meantime, Brian, we wish you well. Let's talk. Pour one out for the 2022 season. It is dead and gone. First things first, I think we'll, we'll talk about the national championship. Oh, I was pouring one out. Sorry. <laughs> I thought it was just the weirdest way to raise your hand. Anyway, yeah. So <laughs> national championship was yeah. I just was like, okay, that's that's awkward. I don't know if your shoulders feeling all right. Anyway, Georgia wins. It's funny. So this game got out of hand pretty quickly, right? And at one point, my wife was just like, "Do we need to keep watching?" And we actually turned the game off a little early, but she's like, well, what do you think the final score is going to be? And I said, okay, I think it's going to be at the time. I can't remember exactly how much time was left at the time. The score was 50. Let's see. It was 52 to seven. I think, is that right? It was 14 shy or 13 shy of what the final ended up being. I think we must have been in the fourth quarter. And I was like, oh, I think Georgia scores twice more. So give me 66 to seven is the final. And then like, I come back downstairs after taking care of something up, up here. And she's like, well, you were almost right because they missed an extra point. <laughs> like start to finish this game really didn't, didn't feel close for but for a minute there when TCU uh, scores a, a touchdown. Corey, I know you, you mentioned some observations that you had in terms of the game plan and, and strategy from the Georgia Bulldogs. Go ahead and feel free to add your commentary on the game. Yeah, honestly. So, like, one of the things I noticed is that Georgia basically said, I, I think there's some people were worried that TCU might be able to take advantage of Georgia's passing defense. Um, when Georgia played Ohio State, their, their passing defense wasn't that great, and they kind of got lit up. And since TCU has a, you know, a first rounder wide receiver and a few good other good receivers, there, I think there was a possibility there. And, and Georgia basically said, you don't know how Ohio State's front line. We're going to put put you a man to man no matter what. We're gonna, Instead of doing four down linemen, we're going to do four down linemen and a linebacker. So you don't know where it's going to come from, but it's always going to come. And you're going to play us man to man on the line and you're going to get beat somewhere quickly because our guys are five and four stars and yours are three and two stars. Whereas Ohio State, you know, has a five and four and star offensive line, and they were able to help hold up against this team, and that was really the difference. Like, just how fast I would love to see an average of how fast players were in the backfield from Georgia, because it was one on one, and somebody was getting beat, and they had to have perfect communication because a linebacker was coming from somewhere or cornerback blitz, you know, is coming from somewhere. There was always five, sometimes six coming, and that pressure that they put on TCU just blew this game wide open. I mean, TCU had 36 rushes for 28 yards. Granted, we're, we know that probably includes the sacks in there and stuff like that at 1.3 yards of carry. But even in their attempts, they were 14 of 23 for 6.6 yards per pass. Like, that's not going to get it done. You have 188 total yards in the game because you were under duress constantly. Third down efficiency was 2 for 11. They were 0 for 2 on fourth down. Georgia's defense set the tone for this game in a way that was absolutely ridiculous. The offense was great in, in, as well. I mean, minus the extra point miss. But the defense is here where, like they said, we are the better team. There is no doubt about it. And it was kind of just crazy to watch. I finally put my kids to bed at halftime and came down and go, all right, I get to watch nobody bothering me. And the game's already over because it's already 38 to 7. It, it was just crazy. One thing, I, I, I'm on like a, the ESPN like – game summary game cast uh site of the, the their summary of the game and, and the one thing that i'm like oh really like they didn't include a highlight for jack pudlesney's 24 yard field goal in the first quarter like he's the only guy on georgia that didn't get highlighted with a video this was an open and shut case georgia was that much better than than tcu i i've heard some things tossed around like oh well they, they you know they, they got it wrong or or you know tcu didn't really deserve to be there and their loss in the big 12 championship game should have held them out i disagree with that like i mean they beat michigan and michigan beat ohio state and ohio state pushed georgia to the brink right like sometimes styles make fights and they just didn't match up well with with, with georgia at all and, and and not that anyone really does i mean you've seen a couple of close calls from georgia obviously the ohio state game the missouri game come to mind but 
I mean, that's a super, super, super elite team. I, I think that we got what we wanted in terms of a college football playoff this go around. It's just, hey, it was their night. I mean, they hardly did anything wrong. So I, I don't really have a ton more else to say about that. I, I don't think it dismisses what TCU was able to accomplish this year. But there's uh, several levels between them and and the Georgia Bulldogs as of present. Yeah, I hate when when you get that. I don't know that that hindsight talk where it's like TCU earned the right to get destroyed in this game. You know, they they did everything they needed to do. You can talk about would there have been teams that would have matched up potentially better? Maybe Alabama, you know, would have fared better. Yeah, but Alabama didn't win enough football games to get there. You have to do your job to to get into the playoff, to get into the to the championship. And TCU did that. They won all their one score games minus the Big 12 championship, which again, pretty sure they had a touchdown not called. Like there's a good shot they could have won that game, I think, if if that would have been uh reviewed reviewed in the Big 12 championship. But TCU did its job. Not to mention, like, yeah, they were 13 and one going into the game, and they'd actually beaten every team on their schedule because they played Kansas State twice. So they had victories against everyone they played. I, yeah, and, and I think it's just one of those things where, like, the the way it plays out is not. And I guess I, I said it kind of the opposite way, where you know TCU gets blasted. That doesn't mean they didn't deserve it. But I'll give you the the counterexample of someone that got in and got hot and won it all. And I'm not sure that they deserve to be here. Because ironically, at a, a time where TCU maybe had an argument to be in the game, is Ohio State in the very first playoff gets in. After TCU is currently ranked fourth in the last week of the season in their championship game, they win, I think it's 55 to seven. I can't remember that score. It's something like that. They blow out their opponent. It's not close at all. And somehow they still got jumped. But Ohio State gets in the playoff as the four seed, beats Alabama, goes on to beat Oregon in the inaugural college football playoff championship game. And everyone's like, well, they clearly deserved it because they won the game. I'm like, no, that doesn't mean they mean that means they took advantage of what they were what was put in front of them. Uh, and the same thing is here for TCU. Now, again, my personal opinion is that TCU belonged this year. But but I, again, I don't think the results of it really speak to whether or not teams deserved it or not. It's just, hey, once you're there, what did you do with it? Ohio State tipped my cap to them in 2014. They did what they had to do and they they beat two really tough opponents with their third string quarterback TCU won a game that was a fantastic back and forth affair with Michigan and got their doors blown in by Georgia. You make an interesting point and, and it's partially one of the reasons I'm not actually a huge fan of um, some playoffs. I, I get that you get cool teams playing each other, but you don't get the best team wins the, the playoff. You get the hottest team wins the playoff. If you look at the NFL, you could have a team go 14 and two, destroy everybody in the regular season and they lose in the first or second round of the playoffs and, and they don't win the championship. Whereas if you go to soccer, it's like, oh, you won the premiership because you won, you had the best record out of the 40 games you played. But people want to see big games. They want to see these people go together. And so you're going to have teams that are going to get blown out. We're going to see this. That's going to ha- how it's going to happen. One of the things we talked about was how is Georgia going to handle that 3-3-5? I think we got an answer. Well, they manhandled they passed that, that test with flying colors. Yeah. I actually really loved how um, they brought, like, if, if you watch their runs, they almost, like, ran, like, right behind everybody so that, like, the linemen couldn't get to them, and so they automatically got to the second level. And then by the time it was the second level, that all they had to do was break a, a, a break one tackle, and they were gone. It was almost like, almost like rugby, a little bit. Where I watched a few of those plays, where it's like you have four linemen kind of in front of you, kind of going in the scrum, and these guys are just bouncing off of you because they're not stronger, strong as your offensive linemen were. And yeah, I, we wondered how they'd handle it, but they did the pass it with the flying colors. Um, but TCU, they, they deserve to be there. Just because they have a different style, they got beat. But question for you guys, and something that I had a friend bring up, he says, "Does it look be- would it have looked better for them to just have lost by a little bit to Michigan and not been in the championship game, or beat Michigan and then got blown out in the championship game? What would you have rather been? I'd rather be in the championship game, but I mean, hundred percent. It's a tough question. I mean, Mark, Mark, did you want to expand on your your answer? I don't view this as a, a TCU embarrassment. Obviously, they got smoked, but it's like. They obviously didn't play a super good game. I don't think most people think, hey, if we play this game, you know, five more times, we get another a, a bunch more games that are 50 to zero. I don't think we all think they were going to be necessarily close. Right. Vegas had had Georgia as a, almost a two touchdown favorite. But it's like you when you watch the game, it just got out of hand so fast that it was like, what's TCU playing for for three quarters here? You know, they were overwhelmed. The moment was a little too big, but like, nah, I'd rather 
give me a victory, you know, give me a, give me an extra victory against a good team. Everybody else was probably going to lose to Georgia. Georgia was going to be favored in this game, no matter what. So I think that's, I think that's what I'd prefer to, again, the, the nature in which you lose this game, it does pour a lot of cold water on kind of the vibe around TCU a few days after, as opposed to in the lead up to the game. But I mean, hey, I think if I'm Sonny Dykes, of course, of course, I want to be in the game because I have a chance right uh, now in this scenario where I know it's a guaranteed blowout loss. You know, that there may be some questions there, but really, that's not the choice that he was put in front of. The choice was I'm in the semis. What, what can I do with this to answer and give my take on it? Now I can say, like, hey, I'm a this is our first year. These aren't even my guys. Like th this is not my program. Look where we got this year. This is quite the selling, you know, qu quite this, the, the selling point that he has on the recruiting trail. You can see it uh, not so much in their high school recruiting, but in the transfer portal, they are picking up a lot of really ballyhooed recruits when they were in high school that maybe it didn't shake out at their first stop for whatever reason. So very interested to see how they can parlay this really awesome Cinderella run into something that maybe is, is a little bit more built to last and, and something that gives them the chance to, you know, be competitive in, in, a in a championship game like this one wasn't. I don't know if we had any other thoughts on that championship game. Just hat tip to Georgia. They're that good. They We, we all knew it. I got two more thoughts. Yeah, the six and five, seven and five bull crap that kept coming out of Georgia players' mouths. Like that... <laughs> That was the dumbest thing. I know people have been blowing it up on Twitter and stuff like that, but like this, this is why cults exist. Because if, if you say it enough times to your, to people, they'll believe it. Apparently, the players believe it. These players saying this on national television look stupider to me than 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 we all know they are because they go to Georgia. No, I'm just kidding. The other thing that was kind of interesting is uh, I saw Kirby Smart walking by, going one, two, three. Is he already looking forward to the next one, thinking it's going to come? Interesting. I mean, it's interesting. I. I need to see what they do, particularly at the quarterback position. But before I get too far ahead of myself and, and looking down the road, I did have a point on that, that seven and five. Yeah, like planet are these players living on? Uh, in, in fact, like, you know, you could ask that from a couple of different perspectives. One, because they're so super athletic. It's like they, they, some of these players have got to be alien species because they're just that big, that strong, that fast. Really impressive, of course. But we even tweeted out from our account that the uh, the that Kirby's burner accounts must be working overtime, and some some intern in the Georgia office must have had a whole lot of fun being like a, an internet troll with a with some other account or with some account not connected to to them personally, saying all of these things that Kirby could then pull up and show as as evidence that people doubted Georgia. I don't know a single person that doubted Georgia. Maybe there were some people that, that said maybe they won't win another championship this year, but I don't think anyone was thinking they're going to take a steep drop off. I think most people had them penciled in to the playoff at the very least, at the at the low bar there. That that's that's hilarious. And just I think if I was in that locker room, I would lose faith in my head coach if I knew he was just like lying to my face like that. I, I don't know how it was framed, but like they clearly got that message over and over and over again, enough to repeat it several times from several different players. And so it's just like, think that they would look around that room and be like, there's, come on, really? Saying, coach, I could go check the Vegas lines. I see what this says. Yeah, it's like, this is this is a Google search away from from being completely dismantled. Like this is not a, this isn't like the moon landing where you have to go and dig up a bunch of things to see if the US government actually covered it up. They didn't, by the way, but like, but like, you know, that's something where it's like, okay, there, there, there'd have to be like hard searching and finding for, for like evidence. Like this is really easy to see. Like everyone thought Georgia would be one of the top three or four teams in the country. And turns out they're the best and, and maybe by uh, a pretty, pretty large margin outside of Ohio state who really pushed them. I had one more observation from bowl season that I, I think is going to become a running theme for me. And now I'm going to blank on both of the games that this happened Oh, I, I'm not going to blank on both of them, but I'm going to blank on one of them. I can't remember what the second one was. But if I'm up three and there's less than eight minutes left and I have the ball inside of my opponent's 40, I am not kicking a field goal on fourth down and I don't care the distance. Six is not enough. Six is not not the margin you want. I understand it prevents them from scoring a field goal to win or to, to win the game or to tie the game, excuse me, rather. Uh, it, it, it prevents them from kicking a field goal to force overtime. They have to score a touchdown. But... Ohio State did it. They kicked that field goal against Georgia with, I can't remember how many minutes left, but they kicked it to make it a six-point game. 
should have gone for it, should have tried to get that first down. And, uh, you know, you need seven there. You need to make it a two-score game. There's another bowl game where this took place, and I cannot remember where it is, but it came back and bit them. I think you make a great point, Steve. Honestly, like, we watch teams when a field goal is necessary play conservative. We talked about this last week. By the way, I don't know if we we, we welcomed you back, Steve. We missed you. I ragged on you for not being here. but Oh, I heard you. it. <laughs> <laughs> well, teams get conservative when it's, it's time to sh- get a field goal. So if you only are up by three, might as well just let the, try and go for, you know, seven. And if you don't get it, the other team might be conservative and just get a field goal and put it into overtime and do your favor anyway. Oh, it was North Carolina. North Carolina and Oregon. Same thing happened. Same thing happened. North Carolina kicks a field goal with only a few minutes left, and and Oregon goes down, scores a touchdown, extra point wins in the game. So I, I that's that's we talked about going for it on fourth downs a few different times this year. We've talked about. I, I think that's the next level of that. Maybe not analytics because I don't have any data to back it up, but I would imagine the the right move there is to try and turn that into a two score game rather than expect a six point deficit to really be or a six point lead to be sufficient in the closing minutes of a game a couple of other items we've had some kind of crazy news uh, uh some crazy things happen within college football news in the immediate aftermath of the college football playoff concluding and the season being over uh the big one that jumped out to me and i got really excited when i first heard this and then got really disappointed when i heard it wasn't wasn't to be but there was at one point uh, during the college football playoff final broadcast, Kirk Herbstreit referenced that the starting game for the Colorado Buffaloes will not be against TCU in week one, but would be in week zero against Arizona State. Uh, Colorado, of course, having a new head coach in Deion Sanders, but Arizona State also having a new head coach in former Oregon offensive coordinator Kenny Dillingham, who was there one year at Oregon, was previously at Florida State prior to that, but is now the head coach at Arizona State to kick off the college football season in, in 2023. It turns out that that's not the case. Uh, there's kind of conflicting reports as to why that was not the case. Some reported that because it was leaked early that they weren't going to continue to pursue it. Later on, other sources from, and, and you'll forgive me, I, I, I'll have to remind, remind myself to maybe throw in at the end. I think it ended up being CBS Sports that came out with a report that there was like a waiver wasn't granted from the NCAA. So it wasn't necessarily just because the word got out too soon, but kind of disappointing. I thought that that would be a fun game to start. I had heard that the commissioner killed it before they even applied for the waiver, but maybe I'm wrong on that. I I don't know. Maybe I think there were conflicting reports. So I don't know. I'm not going to go out and say like, this is what it was, or this was what it wasn't so much that, that there's a couple of different reports that, yeah, they put the kibosh on it because the word got out too soon. Uh, and then I, uh, there were other reports that said, like, they weren't granted the waiver. The NCAA didn't grant the waiver. So I, I don't know. Uh, but to me, it's like, oh, man, that, w- that would have been a good way to start off the season for a couple of reasons. Number one, neither team has a bunch of losses yet. And so people are actually maybe going to care about that game in week zero when they wouldn't care about it in week 10. Uh, number two, obviously, Deion Sanders is a name. He's he's a lightning rod. You love him or you hate him, but you always will watch him. And yep. And so it to me was just enough intrigue, right? And two programs that have been down in the dumps that have new optimism with a new coach, you know, hope springs eternal. And now we don't get it. And I'm a little disappointed. I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm a little upset. I don't know what else is, is in week zero. I will, I'm sure I'll watch it, but that would have been kind of a nice little crown jewel. If you'll remember this past year, Nebraska Northwestern wasn't exactly like a, a, a game that people had marked on their calendars, unless you're a junkie like us and, and really needed to, to watch some football. That one would have been appointment television in week zero. So I, I'm a little sad for that. Obviously, they'll still play. Uh, they'll probably play when both teams have at least five losses, depending on where it is on the schedule. I, I don't imagine either team is particularly competitive next year, just with the amount of transfers out that each has seen and, and the limited additions that they've had come in. Although I know Colorado has, you know, picked up a lot of commitments in the transfer portal. It's just one year turnarounds are, are, are the exception, not the rule. I know Sunny Dykes notwithstanding. I think those are the two teams that might've taken the most transfers so far as well, you're right? which would have kind of been like an interesting game to see like, what are these teams new identities for, at least for those fans and stuff like that. And even for us, it's kind of a outside view. Um, like, you're rebuilding a new culture from from losing 
And you guys, I think you, both teams have brought in like at minimum 18 players, which is kind of crazy. Maybe I'm wrong on that. We're not Brian here to do all the fact checking. You know, he doing this. It, it just would have been an interesting way to watch the game. And honestly, I, I agree. Like the eyes would have been drawn to it. It's sad. It is what it is. But why, why kill it now? I mean, if you can get the waiver, maybe or keep pushing for the waiver. Be cool. Yeah, I'd be interested to, again, obviously, I think the game is still scheduled to be played, but I, I think it loses a bit of it, its intrigue if it's not that week zero game. Because, you know, again, we talked about just like people are starved for football at that point, so they're probably going to tune in. But that one seemed a little extra juicy for week zero. As far as your comment about the number of transfers, a quick check on the 247 transfer ranking says, yes, Colorado has 21 commits. Arizona has 24 transfer commits. So, uh, and, and scrolling wow, through well. the scrolling through the top 50, I don't see a, another team that has anything that starts with a two. So, uh, it's those two and, and by a mile. Now, one thing I wanted to do with that, that now that the the season is is concluded, I just wanted to kind of revisit because this is one of the things that's most fun to me about college football is is some of the unpredictable nature. Obviously, we've talked about like. You know, some of it's pretty straightforward. We know that Alabama is going to be a tough out every single year. We know that Georgia, contrary to the belief of its players, we know that they're going to win about 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, maybe even 15 games when we get to 2024. Um, but I, I, I wanted to just take a minute and, and I'll start, but like go through some of the like things that we thought we knew going into the season that ended up being just completely false or, or ended up kind of, or, or things that um, may, maybe you, you, that just surprised you. Maybe, maybe you didn't have like a form opinion on them. I'll, I'll go over a couple of them. We, we've covered some of these throughout the year as they've unfolded, but I did not see Anthony Richardson being like a 50% passer for large stretches of this year. That was really surprising to me. I think I had that guy as a, superhuman athlete i really thought he would be more in in the tim tebow mold where you know i don't have to be the most efficient passer to beat you i i can just run all over you and i don't think that they fully leveraged his talents i think after a few years in the professional ranks we may look back on that and say they really didn't get as much juice out of anthony richardson as they might i'm surprised that you think we're going to get to see a few years of anthony richardson in the professional rank oh really you can't play a quarterback who cannot throw the football and who's injury prone if he's a running quarterback. And Anthony Richardson seemed to be nicked up all the time. And that guy's a 50% passer in college. I don't know Tim Tebow's numbers off the top of my hands, but I'm going to guess at worst he was mid 60s. I can look that up. Maybe, uh, maybe low 60s. You know, the, the windows that he's going to have to throw into in the NFL, I just, it astounds me now. I'm, I'm no NFL scout, but it astounds me that anybody thinks that anybody would even attempt a first round draft pick on him. Like he put so much bad film on tape. That's like, if he's that bad, I mean, look at Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson only put great things on tape. Now he's playing at a little different level of the competition when he, you know, when he's playing at BYU, but that, that guy can't play. And Anthony Richardson, yes, his highs are, are really high, but his lows are so low that I just don't, I don't see what the future looks like for him. A couple of things here. Number one, for his career, Tim Tebow was a 66% completion percentage player at, at Florida, at UF, in, in the collegiate ranks. But Josh Allen wasn't a very good collegiate quarterback either, and he's lighting the world on fire in the in the NFL. I think so, there's a like, little bit, a, a little difference there. Allen didn't light the world on fire. Pull up his stats. He was still a dramatically better passer. Now, to be fair, that shocked me too. I mean... If you like Josh Allen coming out of college, what's not to like about Anthony Richardson, who maybe hasn't thrown the ball quite as well. He's not quite as accurate as of a collegiate passer. He's a 53% completion percentage. But I mean, you're talking about he's not as good of a passer. Like you're talking about 3% there. What's the difference between 56 and 53? Nothing in his stats really blow you away from his college days. I mean, nothing in his stats really separates him from Anthony Richardson. Anthony's a slightly better runner, actually a, a much better runner in college. Yeah, Josh is someone's a, gonna take a chance on Anthony because of his arm, and that's why they took a chance on Josh Allen. But Josh yeah, was like a first seen, round pick, wasn't he? He was. He was seventh overall. 
And and I, I expect something similar for Anthony Richardson, but just like I, I don't know. It just felt like that that could have been he wore 15, he could have been Tim Tebow, and he was not, which tells me that he was underutilized or misutilized in, in UF system in their current offensive system. Yeah, was I don't it know. Dan Moen, the offensive coordinator that understood when to run a quarterback and when to throw with the quarterback. Yeah, and he refused to go to Anthony Richardson. Stuck with Emory Jones, who is now transferring from Arizona State to I can't remember where. Anyway. Incarnate word or something like that. I'm just kidding. I don't know. It's it's something like that. But yeah, that 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 the decision really sank uh, Dan Mullen's ship there. But that was one. Just going back to kind of the overall theme here. Like I just remember thinking that guy's gonna set the world on fire and become a household name, which I, that much is, is true, but. Florida was a six and six team with that guy at quarterback and a six and seven team when he opted out. Like, I, I don't know. That was one of the more, I mean, for me as a Florida state fan, not disappointing, but one of the, the storylines heading into the year that really just didn't hold water. I, I don't want to dunk on all of our rivals, but like the other one was Tyler Van Dyke was a Heisman finalist. Everyone thought he would be a Heisman finalist and everyone assumed he'd be a first round pick. Now I'm still just kind of like, waiting to see him announce he's entering the transfer portal <laughs> i i know he's i think he said he's staying but uh i mean for your own sake man you might you might need to get back rejoin all the group that, that left miami and is now at smu and and run it back like y'all did in, in 2021 but I, I wanted to put it out for you guys what was the storyline or what was the expectation that heading into 2022's college football season you had that went unmet i'll take the obvious one to me which is Texas A&M, number six overall, basically a roster full of four stars and five stars with a championship coach sucks. It sucks as a compliment to what Texas A&M did this year. I mean, they are horrendous, you know, and like on talent alone, you should be able to win a fair number of football games. And so to actually coach yourself out of being the more talented roster is impressive. Came across a stat this week, only Jimbo Fisher is the only coach to have started in the preseason top 10 or top six maybe maybe it was one of those you know cherry pick stats where it was the top six uh three times and then finished the year unranked um he did so at florida state in 2017 in texas a&m in 2021 and then this year as well so back to back years it's impressive i have two that i off the top or yeah i'll say two or three off the top of my head just how not impressive texas and ou were Texas was eight and five. OU went six and seven. Um, you'll see like a lot of uh, the other thing I have is related to Clemson where new coaches are coming in and like Texas, I mean, Sarkeesian, this is Sarkeesian's second year now. So yes. we expect them to be a little bit better, but uh, honestly, like for me, I feel like Sarkeesian is a person that's, he's going to get you recruits, but he's going to blow a game occasionally. I feel like it's kind of a little bit Mario Cristobal over at Oregon-ish. We will see if he continues to do that at, at Miami. Um, but he like, I mean, you had Bijan Robinson, which you could have relied on, and you could just put eleven in the box and said we're gonna run it with him, and people wouldn't have been able to stop you. But there's times where he like didn't touch it for a whole half, and you're like, what the heck are you doing? Like he's the best player on your field, hand him the ball. It's not like you have to get him open against four different cornerbacks. You turn around and you go, here you go, run through seven people. Um, and then OU, just the fact that they had that setback at six and seven is, a, is a, so very surprising to me. Now, I, I expect them to kind of turn things around. They've got a good recruiting class in. Brent Venables is a good defensive mind. But we all kind of saw what happened when Dylan Gabriel wasn't there. So that those those were surprising to me. These are teams that are supposed to be great, that are going to the SEC, and are leaving Mark at least one more, for one more year. I think they got one more year next year uh, in the Big 12. But, no, like they weren't there. They weren't at the top. Like the Big 12 got completely upended. I mean, none of us had TCU drafted in our top 10 teams. None of us had TCU draft like selected to be in our top five, like of the Big Twelve even. It, it, yeah, and then the other one was like kind of the step back that Clemson had, and the step back that Alabama had. Like our two powerhouse teams that we've had, minus Georgia, great, but both of them look formidable. Like DJ DJU was an issue, but he wasn't the only issue for Clemson. The Clemson's defense wasn't as efficient as we expected him to be, and their offense wasn't efficient as we expected him to be. And Alabama, if it were not for Bryce Young, this team would have two to three more losses in reality. He covered up a huge hole. And these are teams that shouldn't have these issues. They've been recruiting five and four stars and whatever else. 
but we are seeing coaching dynamics and coaching changes and coaching personnel affect these teams and being successful. And we're starting to see those teams kind of a downward trajectory. Great. And then maybe it's the first step down or second step down and they're not at the bottom of the stairwell by any means, but will they come back up? I didn't expect them to be down that far. Even I remember this was, this was the year after a rebuilding year for Nick Saban, if you'll recall, um, oh. usually the year after a rebuilding year, you get better, not worse. Like, do you remember how upset I was when we had the draft that I didn't get the first or second round pick because I was going Alabama first by far and then Georgia because I was certain Alabama was going to come back with a vengeance. They did not. Bill O'Brien is not the right OC for this team, in my opinion. Yeah, I don't I don't think the offense was nearly as big of a problem as the defense. I mean, they got Tennessee, you know, put up, what, 52 in that game. Uh, I can't remember last time Alabama had half a hundred hung on them, but it's been a minute. I think that was the the piece that was maybe more surprising to me was the the lack of I guess eliteness um, from the defensive level or the the defensive unit that I would have expected at Alabama. The OU comment you you brought up, I know all of us were high on OU initially. In retrospect, when you do put on the hindsight goggles, you're like, well, Lincoln Riley was the offensive genius. You took him away. You put in a defensive coach without a guy, a bunch of people who can play defense. So, you know. It's not like OU's been known for their defense for a bunch of years. So now now you've lost a lot of the offense and you probably don't have the talent to really run defense. It feels like we could have seen that coming. And again, Dylan Gabriel was a a, a huge factor in the, you know, when he when he played, they were much better. I think he was six and two as a starter. And so obviously they lost like every game without him. That one seems like that that maybe made more sense. But the Alabama and Clemson ones were were pretty surprising. And we talked a, a lot this year about I think some of the questionable decisions you could make. Uh or that that Dabo Sweeney made in particular, you know, how long he stuck with DJU and how committed he was to him as the quarterback. I think that could have, that, that played a, a significant role. I don't know if club Nick's like way better, but we know, you know, you, you've, you had a good sample size of DJU. You knew it was there last year. You know, he was with them all the way to, to the very end. So it'll be interesting to see if the clo- coaching over at Clemson can, can improve. It's... Obviously oh, go ahead. So I was going to say with, with DJU, if you remember the Dennis Green uh, post-game press conference when the Arizona Cardinals were playing the, gosh, was he playing the Bears? I think they the Bears. Yeah. yeah, they are who we <laughs> thought they were. Like DJU is who we thought he was. <laughs> so like, uh, like with Clemson, like you knew what you had there. And, and you know, I, again, I, I part of me is still not sold on on club neck i think i may have mentioned this on my own version of the pod where it's like my or the solo solo pod maybe not but i mean he he looked pretty pedestrian against tennessee now again they asked him to throw the ball a bunch which maybe isn't fair to him but the game where he looked really sharp was against unc where everyone looks really sharp against unc that that's that's the game where offenses go to go to get you right um but but yeah to your point about him going to oregon state you put out in our group text when Treshawn Ward went to Kansas State that you became a big Kansas State fan. I basically hate everybody that leaves FSU. So I'm, I'm going to be bitter and I'm going to be rooting against Treshawn Ward. I became the biggest Oregon State fan with that transfer. What? Yeah. We'll, we'll set aside the you hate anyone that leaves FSU. Like that part, we'll, we'll examine that maybe off off the record, but why is it the other way around? Is it just a, like, okay, now I can root for him because he's not at a rival? No, because I, and I, when we mentioned this earlier, I, I like to see a player in a situation where I think they can succeed. And the expectations and the way people talked about him this year is like, you just kind of knew he's not that guy. So I'm a big Spencer Rattler fan. Why? Because he's not an OU quarterback of a top five program. He's a South Carolina quarterback who's going to go get you eight or nine wins and it's exciting. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm happy that, that DJU, I, I feel like he's now going to be in a position to be successful where people aren't going to have, number one, too high expectations, and then we're going to beat up on him all the time when it's like, guys, we, this, is, this is what we got. Like, We should be more intelligent about how we examine DJU and not let the talent around him you know, raise the whole tide. He's, you know, he's still a barnacle, uh, and you know, he's, he's stuck where he is. So the tide can rise, but he's going to be stuck to the post at the bottom of the ocean. And not at the bottom, in the middle of the ocean, which is why Oregon State's the right program. He's going to be between number 20 and number 10 in a run-first offense, 
where he's going to be successful. He's not going to be asked to throw the ball a bunch. They're not going to try games that they have to win on their on his arm. They are going to expect to lose and we will expect them to lose. Uh, that's not that he can't pass the ball, but it's, you know, you're not going out there hoping he's going to pull a Wake Forest every week because that's not going to happen. And at Clemson, despite Will Shipley, it's still a pass first offense. They they still want to push the ball down the field and put up a lot of points. I think he's in a much better position. So it's so fun to root for a guy that you just feel like has been set up for failure and now he's set up for success. Go Oregon State, go DJU. I'm I'm stoked for him. I'm excited too. Like I, I've always had kind of a little soft spot for Oregon State. Uh, just the, and, and they this year they were the, the little beaver that could like. Uh, they they played everyone tough, even USC. Like they were darn near to eleven wins because the USC game they lose the turnover battle at four to nothing and still are are within a score of winning that game. That team's a team that fights. I think Jonathan Smith's got them rolling. That's just a really fun, really fun team to to follow. So then getting a quarterback, we we talked about that for a minute where I said like. He, uh, Jonathan Smith, their head coach, has got to be like, oh man, what 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 can I do if I had a quarterback? Well, now he's got one, not a, not a stellar one, but but definitely a serviceable one, one that you can can operate within uh, within his capabilities and get more out of the offensive side of the ball than they have. Corey, yeah, no, I I'm in agreement with you guys. Um, DJ, you just tweeted, posted or tweeted, twittered, whatever he tweeted for the first time since he's been at OSU today three hours ago. And he says, love and Corvallis and my new teammates and the coaches excited about the future here and the opportunities ahead. want to say at least one thank you. One last thank you to Clemson and my teammates and coaches learn a ton and will value my experience and my relationship there um, forever. I'm not reading it word for word, but I, I agree. I think that's what it is. It's like, he's now in a place where expectations aren't so high. I mean, I think he's going to thrive. I think they do a good, really good job and they push for a good spot in the pac 12. I mean, they were good this year. I think they what, won 10 games this year? 10 in total, if you count the bowl game. Yeah, and I think that they should be able to do the same this year. And that's with having a little bit of a target on their back next year. You know, so we'll see. Yeah, they won't sneak up on anyone. Last topic of the evening. Corey brought it up as something that we can have another look ahead to 2023. Uh, I'm going to stand on my soapbox first. And if you're a follower of our Twitter account, you're going to get lots of my opinions on there because I'm the one I think that's most active of, of the four of us using it. But I think it was Brett McMurphy who put out his way too early top 25. And I just commented on it. And I was like, look, with the current transfer portal window not yet closed and a subsequent transfer portal to come and spring football and injuries potentially that can happen both in spring and over the summer and into fall camp. It just seems irresponsible to put out, you know, way too early top whatevers. And I stand by that. And even in the tweet, I said, I understand you have to put something out. Like it's something for us to talk about. I'll click on it. I'll read them. I also don't put any stock in them. So I think it's a good way for fan bases to either get enraged that they're not ranked high enough or uh, really drink the Kool-Aid if they're, if they're really highly ranked. And I, I think that, you know, for us Florida state fans, it's, it's, it's the latter as opposed to the former from most of these new prognostications for the 2023 season. But that being said, Mark, give me your way too early, irresponsibly crafted top five for next year. All right. I've got, Georgia at one, Ohio State at two, Michigan at three, SC at four, number five. I think you could go a number of ways with number five. I don't know that there's going to be there's a, there's a clear cut five. So I'll say Oregon. Interesting, interesting. The rationale between the Ohio State Michigan is it. I know that when we talked about that game, you were of the opinion that if that game was played multiple times, that Ohio State wins more often than not. Is that yeah. just kind of you're just saying a continuation of that? Yeah, I think they're they're still more talented in the offensive end. Michigan, Michigan's identity is the same. They're not going to be able to throw the ball. They're going to try and run the ball. Uh, if you can't do, you know, so I think Ohio State's going to end up being more rounded. They still have Emeka Egbuka. And Marvin Harrison Jr. Marvin Harrison Jr. is probably going to be the Blitnikoff winner next year. Frankly, probably should have been the Blitnikoff winner this year, in my opinion. Jalen Hyatt got a lot of credit for catching wide open touchdown passes. I'm not sure that makes you a great wide receiver because you're schemed open all the time. 
you know, that's neither here nor there. So anyways, I think just Ohio State's more complete. They, they can pass the ball on offense. They can run the ball on offense. You can see what happened when you struggled to run the ball in Michigan. And I think defensively, they might not be quite as good as Michigan, but they'll be good enough. So that's kind of the logic between the the ranking or the rank order of those two. I really wanted to fl- throw Florida State at five, but I'm afraid like I'm I'm just like a scared cat. You know, I think there's there's a lot to believe in and have faith in. And a lot of what you can have faith in is the ACC schedule. So there's a lot there. Basically, we don't have any notable losses outside of Jamie Robinson. And you're coming back off a, a 10 win te- or a 10 win season where your three losses were all fairly competitive um, and you're nicked up a bit in those losses. So I could see a really good season for Florida state next year. Just a, just afraid Alabama. <clears throat> I think you're going to have to figure out a quarterback before I, you know, they're probably, they were in that next year, but I, I don't know what to do with, you know, I don't know if Jalen Milrow is the answer there. So uh, we'll see. Might be a year away from, from at this juncture for me. Uh, I'll, I'll go next. Corey's still stuffing his face full of popcorn. So I'll, I'll go next. Number one, Georgia talked about like, like I, I alluded to it a little bit earlier. I'm curious what their quarterback situation looks like. Do they have him on the roster? Maybe, maybe it's Carson Beck. You think it's Carson Beck? I'm seeing nods. Okay. I, I I'm not totally sold, but um, yeah, again, I just I haven't seen enough of him to really have a, a really strong opinion that he's going to be, stellar or 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 not fall below expectations i just don't know one of our brothers was not fully sold on stetson bennett and he he won back-to-back championships so maybe you don't have to be a top 10 quarterback to still be the number one team in the country there that's that's exactly what it is i back that up 100 percent. you just need a game manager for me for georgia to win i know brian was the one the opinion but i think if you have a game manager you win that's georgia i'm right there with y'all like the my big thing is like people are like oh he needs a statue i'm like no, if I'm building a statue, I'm building it to that defense. That defense is nasty as can be, and it's been nasty as can be. Like, I, I, I don't know. In my opinion, Keely Ringo's done just as much. Like, you know, with the, the the pick to return or the pick for a touchdown last year to literally win the game in the national championship. He did his best job to play him out of the Ohio State game this year. I'm, I'm not sure Keely Ringo's done just as much. That's hyperbole, but you get my point, right? Like, I, I think a whole lot more of this has been on uh, on their defense than it has been on, like, the arm of Stetson Bennett or even the legs. That's beside the point. Georgia is my number one for next year. I think they just have stockpiled so much talent. It's it's just hard to bet against them. But again, A&M happened, so who knows? At number two, I've got the, the Trojans. And and really, what I, it, Southern Cal, I, really, I think they'll just possess the ability to outscore anyone that they, they need to. Uh, I do anticipate a marginal step forward in, on the defense. Like, you know, Scrinch, like, he's taken a lot of heat, but you have to remember he was only a defensive coordinator at Oklahoma for two years. Uh, and and Oklahoma's defense, I think, didn't quite have the talent that it needed. It just started to really ramp up its recruiting efforts. I think defense is one where it's often you need several years to really overhaul a defense. So the transfer portal, maybe that's slightly you can expedite that, but it's it's something that he wasn't, you know, it, he wasn't like a tenure coordinator at at Oklahoma. He, I think he was there two, maybe three years, and, and he's a first year one at, with with USC, or not a first not a first time coordinator, but it's his first year there. So he's having to deal with the talent that was on the roster. So I imagine that he will do much much better with just upgraded talent as they continue to recruit and overhaul the defensive part of the roster. He didn't suck when he was at Washington State. There's a reason he got hired at Oklahoma because he was a really, really strong defensive coordinator uh, once he has tools in place. So I'm anticipating a leap forward there. We've talked about uh, we've talked about Caleb Williams and what a game breaker he is. And so I'm, I'm betting on that to to really put them kind of out in prime position to contend for uh, everything, uh, all the all the postseason accolades, including the national championship uh, at Southern Cal in year two. For number three, I, I guess I haven't really thought out some of this order, but for number three, I, I've got Ohio State. Want to see who the QB is? Confident that that QB is going to be very good. Quarterbacks under Ryan Day have all done very well, so it, it's just more who is it? How well do they start performing to understand exactly what their ceiling is? But 
you know, Mark, you made kind of the, the really strong argument, like that offense isn't going anywhere. I think their defense continues to improve with Jim Knowles. This is his first year on the job and they showed a lot of improvement outside of basically outside of the Michigan game. Uh, and so I, I anticipate that to continue. Number four, now I'm I'm having to think on the spot. I know that I want I want to put LSU up there. I, I might put them at five, but since I'm I'm drawing a blank on who else I want to put in there, we'll just talk about LSU now. We'll, we'll say the LSU's four. I, I like what Brian Kelly's doing, uh, accents notwithstanding. I guess uh, I love to clown him on that because it's just so absurd. But what he's doing on the field and in, on the recruiting trail is not absurd, or it's absurd in a good way. My question is, do you have a quarterback controversy there? Because Jaden Daniels, I think, is a fine player, but I do think he's limited when it comes to throwing the football. Uh, Garrett Nussmeyer has shown glimpses of being a, a, a more complete passing quarterback. Again, limited athletically. Uh, not not exactly a, not, not a statue back there, but just not as athletic as Jaden Daniels. We'll see. I, I really like what they bring back on defense. Harold Perkins, the minute that guy emerged, that team was different. And, and I think they will be different now for another two years that he has to wait before he can be in the NFL. So I, I'm going to bet on the best and biggest game breakers. And I think LSU has one on the defensive side of the ball. I think they have a few on the offensive side of the ball when it comes to uh, Malik Neighbors on the outside. Goodness, Jason Taylor's kid. Is it Mason? Mason Taylor? The tight end? I'm blanking on his name. The guy who scored the, the two-point conversion to beat Alabama, the guy who got the first down but was inbounds against Florida State that nearly, you know, that that kept their season or kept the kept that game alive for LSU in the opener. So give me LSU as part of my top five. I am blank. I, I know I'm missing someone here. Michigan obviously maybe is is an opportunity, but I, I know I'm overlooking someone and I I I didn't come quite as prepared to this because I didn't know that we were going to do it. Because, again, in my opinion, these things are maybe foolish. Maybe I just leave it at four for now. Yeah, you could think of, like, Bama, Penn State, Tennessee. I'm just dropping names. That's true. There's, uh, yeah, those are some of the ones. Oregon, I, I think that's an interesting choice as well, Mark. I, I think I'm going to sit at four for now. Okay. I think it's interesting you said you talked about a quarterback controversy. I think Jaden Daniels at the beginning of the year did not look like a great passer. The guy had a 68% completion percentage through 17 touchdowns and three picks. I don't see how you remove that guy as your quarterback, seeing what he brings with your legs. I'm not saying Nussmeyer might not be a better passer. You're not getting much more accurate than 68%. Quarterbacks aren't throwing 80% completion percentages. So it's like that guy had a really good year. He didn't look as sharp early on and looked great at to finish the year. So it sounds like to me, Steve, that you got um, LSU beating Florida State. Everybody's been had Florida State as darlings in their top five. Yeah, I think I do. I, I think that they've figured things out. Both teams, I think, improved over the season. I think the amount of improvement I saw from LSU was a lot larger than what I saw at Florida State. Good opinion. I actually wrote my, down my first, my top five before either one of you guys have talked. I have number one, Georgia. Number two, Ohio State, for many of the reasons you kind of had. You guys had Ohio State two and three. Um, I have Michigan as three, Mark. And then, Steve, I have LSU as four. I think LSU, for the exact same reason, I – I think Florida State is a darling of all these early, too early uh, polls because they are cleaning up on the portal. Well, they're cleaning up on the portal because they don't have debt and they don't have people behind them, and that's an issue. Yeah, I have LSU beating Florida State next year. I don't think Florida State will do it nearly as well as people think they will. I think Florida State may compete for an ACC title, and I'm going to put may. I have Florida State winning eight, possibly nine games this year. They won ten. I, I don't think they jump as much more beyond that this next year. I, I think they'll compete for a title but not kill it. And then at five, I was tempted to put USC, but I'm going to go with Notre Dame. What Marcus Freeman did at the end of last wow. year, at, 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 like with that team and how they changed. I know they lose the top pass rushers. They lose, you know, Michael Mayer, and they have a new quarterback um, with San Hartman coming in. I know he's competing for the job, but there's a good chance that he was at. But I like what he's doing there. I think he's got a good mindset. I think he's got he's got him on the right path that they could just probably explode and catch people, a lot of people off guard. I, I think that's a really good decision or like a really good call putting them at five. And I expect them to lose the first big game that they play. And that will be kind of, that's kind of like how we run the play at Notre Dame is like, let's start them way too early ranked high and let them lose the, you know, the game that that is the first test to be like, Oh, is this team what we thought they were? Oh no, they're probably 12. 12 was probably the right spot. Play Ohio state in week two. Yeah, uh, that should do it. Oh, sorry. No, they don't not week two week four, but yeah, that'll do it. You're right. Mark my word. 
see, they got a tough schedule here. So they host Ohio State week four. They host USC. So they're playing two of the top five uh, already. Uh, also play at Louisville, at NC State, uh, at Clemson. That's rough. Sounds like a walk in the park for Notre Dame. All right. All right. It's way too early. It's way too early. I can see them losing to Ohio State or, or USC, but making it, having it be a close game and then having some scares along the way. But I think at the end of the year, like two two losses, maybe three, is not terrible. And that would put you right there at number five or six, seven. Particularly you know if they, your two losses are like USC and Ohio State. Did you know that they host Wake Forest? Yes, I did. We talked about this last week that they get oh, the points. I must have missed that part. Sorry. Uh, yeah, that's awesome. So uh, I, I think I, I I think the Demon Deacons will be as prepared as possible in that game. <laughs> Coming up uh, on, on subsequent episodes, we'll do like a season in review where we actually look at all of our crazy takes from the beginning of the year uh, and, and see what we got right, what we got wrong. We'll talk through Punishment opportunities for me for losing both the bowl pick'em and the win totals draft, and and look forward for, to us being at full strength in the near future. Uh, any parting shots from the from the group? Yeah, I noticed you forgot the part at the top of the hour where we recognized me for the being the bowl pick'em winner. Oh my bad. Yeah, good job. Afterthought says the guy who lost twice. <laughs> He's like, I don't care about winners. I'm just out here in the dumps. <laughs> That'll wrap up another episode of the CFB Paint Podcast. We uh, have concluded our first season. Thank you so much for listening and taking the ride with us. You can follow us on Twitter at underscore CFB Paint. On Instagram, we're CFB Paint. Feel free to check out our socials. We'll continue to keep things going there, keep the conversation going as new things pop up, particularly across the offseason. More details to come in terms of our off-season cadence. I don't know if we'll be recording weekly as uh, there just what is going to be less to talk about. And we're not big on fluff. We're, we're more on, I want to talk about things that are of substance or or have some fun with some trivia and some some content that I think people will find compelling for the off-season to help hold you over until end of August in 2023. Wish you all well. And uh, again, look forward to being at full strength in the near future. Best wishes to our brother, Brian, who's not here. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of the CFB Paint Podcast. We're dropping new episodes every week. Be sure to rate us five stars on any and every service where you listen to the pod. And if you feel so inclined, let your friends know about us. As always, thanks, Mom, for giving birth to us. And to all the rest of our listeners, we'll see you next week.